Hey everybody, Steve Witt here. I'm excited to talk about evangelism, the thing that scares everybody. It seems like it at least. I think uh, it lines up actually pretty close to the top of speaking in front of a group of people, dying, and evangelism. Speaking to people you do not know about Jesus. Get this, 95% of all conversions to Christ come from 3% of the church. Did you hear that? 95% of all conversions to Christ come from 3% of the church. Yet, God has called us to open our mouths and speak. I get it. Some people are talented. Some people are gifted from God to be able to share the gospel to others, and they may win thousands of people to the Lord every year, but every one of us has been marked by the Spirit. And one of the fruits of the Spirit actually is going out. Jesus said it himself in Acts 1.8, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you shall be witnesses. And it doesn't mean they just went around saying, hey, I saw something, I saw something. Witnesses infers a living representative and communicator of the gospel witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. I mean, we're called in the Great Commission to love the Lord God with all of our heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit, and to love our neighbor as ourself. Jesus said these two are very similar. They're like unto the other. You can't say in 1 John, you can't say, I love God, I love God, but I do not like my brother. The Bible says that you're a liar. Uh, yeah, I don't like that verse either. But anyway, it's what it says. So what do you do with this thing of evangelism? I guess Second Corinthians was on my mind. If you didn't see the live uh, um, live stream from this past Sunday, which is uh, October 15th, I think it was, 15th, yeah. Uh, I talked about this out of Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians is shocking. Remember, Paul's not writing to necessarily the church leaders or apostles or prophets or whatever. We think it's only those people that really do evangelism. I'm not required to do it. He's writing to the church members and he talks to them about, you know, their body and absent and present with God and goes on and on through that. And then it gets to this point where it says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Wait, what? Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. When you really know what God is like, his love, his fierceness, his holiness, his purity, all the things about God. There's a sense, obviously, he's my, he's my heavenly father. I love him. I feel his dear love. But, but John, John the apostle did also. And yet when he saw the resurrected Christ, he fell like a dead man. So it just gives me an indicator in the post-cross, post-resurrection Jesus. When we see him, we're not going to high five him and say, hey, dude, how you doing? We're just not going to do that. And we may spend the first thousand years just trying to stand up. I don't know. But if John, who is very close to Jesus, felt that way, how are we going to feel? And so knowing the terror of the Lord, people who have true revelation of who Jesus is, we persuade men, women also. But we are well known to God, and I also trust well known to your conscience. And it goes on, it says in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 5, for the love of Christ, so we've all received that, right? 
We say, oh yeah, God loves me. I, I believe in God. He loves me. I, he believes in me. You know, we, we love each other. It's amazing. You know, I get all there. I sing about him every Sunday morning. And I just love God. I love God. I love God. I love God. I get it. But it says here, for the love of Christ compels, the Greek word there speaks of being preoccupied. So the love of God preoccupies us, compels us. We can't help but think about anything else. When the love of God grips you, you move, you do, you are, you become, you transform. It's all stuff. But you also, we are compelled because we judge that the one who died for us then all died and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves. What a powerful passage. No longer for themselves. We are in an I, me, my generation right now. Narcissism is at an all-time high. And in the midst of that, the Bible says, you should live no longer for yourself, but for him who died for you and rose from the dead. So the love of Christ compels us. We are compelled you go on down in the verses and it talks about how we're a new creation. All things have come new. In other words, you can't rely on the stuff that you say, oh, well, I was born on the wrong side of the track. Oh, man, I'm this color. Oh, man, I'm this ethnic group. Oh, man, you don't understand how my dad was or my mom was or whatever. You are now in Christ. In Christ, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. If anyone's in Christ, it says is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. In other words, he set the pattern. He's the prototype and has given us, oh boy, given us who? The Corinthians and everyone else that reads us for the 2,000 years ahead. He's given us the same ministry, the ministry of reconciliation, which is the gospel. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and have committed to us the word and has committed to us the word, has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors. It, it means old in Christ, basically. So those who've been around for a while, a year, five years, 10 years, whatever, you're an ambassador, a statesman for Christ. As though God was pleading through us, we implore you. So this is the word, remember? It, you're compelled, you're an ambassador, you're a minister of reconciliation, and now he's pleading through you. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is the way God does it. He's always done it this way. I've talked about this on podcasts before. God is a businessman. He is. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, grouped together, amazing business, running the universe, creating the universe. You know, and God loves, I don't ask me why, I don't know why, but he loves partnering with us. I mean, he partnered with Noah in the Old Testament Noah was a builder. He was willing to build something, but the Lord gave him the plan. Lord gave the plan. Noah built it. The Lord sent the rain. You see the partnership? Moses, he went in and said, let my people go. Do you think it was the power of his voice? No. Pharaoh doubled down on the stuff that he, the plagues that 
that uh, were brought because he continued to say, no, no, 10 plagues had to come, 10 plagues. So it wasn't just Moses' voice. He told Moses to go tell him, let my people go. <clears throat> that's Moses' part. And then you think, what that's, what's that going to do? We keep getting more plagues. Lord, where are you? I mean, he could have said that, but he, I don't think he did. The Lord shows up with these plagues and finally the Passover takes place and boom, they're catapulted out of there. And all throughout that, that you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, we've got Moses and he is, he is using his, his rod to bring water. He's using his rod to split the sea. I mean, he's having to move in faith. When he moves, God moves. It makes you think of Jesus when he said, he said, uh, uh, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Some of us are waiting on God. I think God sometimes is waiting on us. What a terrible thing it'd be to get to heaven and and the Lord say, man, where were you? I, 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 Lord, I, I was saying the same thing. I was saying, where were you? Well, I was thinking, saying, where are you? You move, I move. Faith unlocks the powers of heaven. It's just the way God designed it. I remember many years ago, and I told this story on Sunday, but many years ago, I got called in to speak to a man who was older than me at the time. He was probably, I don't know, he was probably in his 70s at that time. I don't know. And I was younger, maybe in my 40s. And he came in and he communicated in such a way where you could tell he was not grievous about his past sins. In fact, he was a little bit, I wouldn't say proud of them, but he you could tell by his body language and how he communicated that he'd been around and he'd done some things. You know how it is in older people. They're, they they glory in their past and what happened. Now I'm one of those older people and I do the same thing. But he was glorying in things that you shouldn't be glorying about, you know, and his his stuff that he's involved in. I don't even want to talk about it, but, you know, and, and I was getting a little aggravated. I got to say, I, I'm not always Holy Steve. I mean, for the Lord, I guess I'm Holy Steve, but I don't always act that way. And so finally, I just got kind of fed up and I said, you know what? If you don't change, you're going to go to hell. I mean, I said it with all the wrong attitude. You're going to go to hell. He was kind of shocked by it. Uh, maybe no one ever said that to him. I don't know. I'm, I'm blessed and fortunate I didn't get punched in the mouth or something. And so, but I said it to him, if you don't stop that, you're going to go to hell. And then I doubled down on it and said, you, it's like you're you're proud of the things you've done. You've got to repent. You've got to have remorse in your heart and realize this, this has harmed you and it's harmed the people around you. And by this time, the guy is tearing up. He's getting very upset, you know, and finally he breaks down. And he says, what do, I, what do I do? What do I do? I said, you need to repent. You repent, receive Jesus Christ. What do I need to do? I said, repeat after me. And I prayed a prayer and he repeated it, got done. He's He's, he's weeping, he's changed, there's remorse, he's broken. I mean, I kind of want him to the Lord on accident out of my frustration. I'm not saying God gave me that frustration, but he used it. And this guy comes to the Lord. He goes and tells his, his girlfriend that he became a Christian. And they, of course, they were rejoicing at that. That night, he gets up in the middle of the night like a lot of old men do. And he was walking to go to the restroom or wherever he was going, I don't know. He made a wrong turn and he fell down the steps and died. It was in the middle of the night. I got a call the next morning. They told me what happened. I'm like, what? No, wait, no. no you're telling me, I don't, who is it again? They repeat. I said, 
I couldn't get, I was in shock. I couldn't get it in my head that that's the man I just talked to yesterday. I mean, like 12 hours before he was in my office talking about his sins. And the next day he's in heaven. He's at the gates of heaven. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. It was that close, the destiny of either going to hell or heaven. And I know some of you today, it's very popular to bash hell and to bash heaven, you know. We're not sure that it really exists. Well, read your Bible. It does exist. It may or may not be exactly the way we think it's going to be, but there is a place, an abiding, an eternal abiding with God. And it may even end up being here on this planet someday as he recreates the heavens and the earth. I don't know. I'm not a a pro on end time subjects, but I do know that he is coming. We are going and we will be with him forever. And if I die in the midst of it, I will be in a place where I will know his presence and I will live with him eternally. That man, when he fell down that steps, became unconscious, spirit departed from his body. He stood in the presence of the Lord because of an aggravated pastor that got tired of him talking about his sin. What about if I'd have done it in love? What about if I do it in love now, you know, and just believe that God loves you and is a great plan for your life. That is being an ambassador. That is God pleading through me, uh, imploring us on Christ's behalf that they be reconciled. Wow, what a powerful thing. Jesus tells the story even about the rich man and the poor man, you know, the beggar and the rich man. They both die and the rich man goes to hell and the poor man goes to heaven. His name is Lazarus. And the rich man was able to see uh, Abraham. And he spoke to Abraham in, in paradise. And he said, he was in hell burning, but Abraham was in paradise. He said, can you not get Lazarus to go and warn my family? Warn my family about what's to come so that they may not come here. And of course, they couldn't do that. And the thought is, if hell stirs you to want to win your family for Christ, shouldn't we have passion now to win people for Jesus Christ? Do we want to wait until we fail in our life? We fail in our eternal destiny. Our bodies are eternally being tormented in hell before we cry out, fearing for our children, our grandchildren, our family, our spouses, and others that are left behind. It is the day to find Jesus Christ. And we are compelled by the love of God to do that. Romans 10 says this, says, For how shall they call on him and who they not believed? How shall they believe in him who they not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Okay, so you got to be sent out. As it was written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring good tidings, which is the gospel, of good things but they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by an activation of hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It stirs you. Let me tell you something I've learned over the years since the Lord ignited me even about five years ago with a, with a passion to talk to people about Christ like never before. The, the Lord showed me that the gospel is not Shakespeare. It's not Webster's Dictionary. The gospel has an eternal anointing upon it, 
the story itself that when you communicate it, you can bumble through it and it kind of doesn't matter. I mean, Moses wasn't a great communicator, but he got Israel freed from Egypt because of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of God in that situation. Doesn't matter if you do it perfectly the first time. The fact that you are speaking in faith, your passion, you are compelled by love to speak to the person at the grocery store. You take your stand, you open your mouth, you share the gospel. And I, I could tell you a way how to do that. Maybe I will in the next uh, podcast here. But, but when you do that, the power of the gospel, even in our weakness, he is strong. Even in our poverty, he is rich. What you do is you share it. And when they hear it, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, the context is salvation. You come to faith because you heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for me, that he loved me so much that he laid down his life for me. As a result, I have eternal life in Jesus because I believed in my heart, I confess my sins, and I embrace Jesus Christ. I confess with my mouth. Matthew 28, 19, it says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So in the Bible, we have the great commandment and we have the great commission. The great commandment is love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. The great commission is go therefore and make disciples. I was in Maine just a few weeks ago preaching up there and so I heard someone else get up and speak and they said, uh, two-thirds of God is go. <laughs> I'd like that. <laughs> I mean, you know, just a cute little saying there, two-thirds of God is go. But it's true. Go, go and make disciples. First Peter 3 says this, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. In other words, be ready. Be ready to defend the very gospel of Jesus Christ when people ask. Matthew 9 says this, And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to disciples, Hey, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest. Jesus Send forth labors. We, you know, we at Bethel, I pastor Bethel, Cleveland, in Cleveland, Ohio. We're related to Bethel Redding. We love Bill and Chris and all of them out there. And we try to mimic them and walk behind them as best we can and support them. But we believe in Bethel that we are carriers of his presence. And we do this thing called uh, treasure hunting, where we pray, we get a picture of somebody, we go out, we we pray for them because they have a sore arm or broken uh uh, jaw or uh, arthritis or whatever it might be. We see them healed and God powerfully touched them. But the problem is sometimes you go out and you express the kingdom, but you do not do the key thing that most people lack in the ability to do. And it causes them to have very poor results in sales. And in sales, they call it the ask, the A-S-K. You could talk about all the great things about your product or your process, your system or your structure. You say, oh, it's great. It goes up, it does this, it goes down, it does that, it goes in, it goes out, it smells great. You're going to love it. It's some awesome, awesome. And you can walk out of there not having made a sale. Somewhere you've got to say so. 
How many of these do you want? So, are you interested in this product? So, would you like to sign up right now? I can get you signed up pretty quick. Well, it's not that we're salesmen, we're ambassadors, we're imploring people, but we're we're compelled by the very Spirit of God to open our mouths, speak the gospel, and give the ask. You know, the Bible says, ask, and he will hear. Seek, that's S-A-S, and you shall find. Knock, and it should be open to you. A-S-K, ask, ask, get ask. Hey, do you know that if you died today, that your home would be in heaven? Do you know that for sure? People ask, answer typically one of three things. Yes, I get a probably 40% yeses. No, I'm not sure. When I say yes, I say, really, how do you know that? If they fumble around and bumble and don't know what it is, then they're probably not really a Christian. Or if they say, oh, I'm a Methodist or I'm a Presbyterian or I'm a charismatic. I say, well, that's great. I always say, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But that doesn't get you to heaven. How do you know you're going to heaven? The, the key answer, obviously, is I, I repented and given my life to Jesus Christ. The bottom line is the blood of Jesus is over the doorpost of my, of my heart. Because of his death, I now live. I mean, that's it, short. When they say that, I go, praise God, you're a fellow believer. And I go, you anything I can pray with you about? And I pray with them. But those that say no, or I'm not sure, then I, I, I go, okay, well, here's what the Bible says. I mean, I witnessed to a guy, oh, probably two weeks ago, young guy. I got out of my car uh, for this purpose. Uh, there was a guy over there who's 22 years old, fresh out of college, university. And uh, we connected together, chatted a minute. I asked him, I said, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven if you died? And he said, uh, well, I'd like to think so. And I said, uh, well, why is that? And he said, well, you know, growing up, my parents said if you lived a good life, that there's something better for you on the other side. And I said, well, they were partially right. I said, the part they were right on is that there is something on the other side and it's called heaven. They were not right with the living of the good life. There's nothing wrong with that. But actually getting to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And so I said, we've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us, I've sinned, you've sinned, we've all sinned. And people agree with that right away. And the wages of sin is death. I mean, we're heading toward death. But Jesus came for us. He came to earth that whosoever believes in him shall not die, but have everlasting life. You're whosoever. You're the one who sins and falls short of the glory of God. But Jesus said, whoever calls upon him believes in him, then he will have everlasting life. And so would you like to call or ask him right now to come into your life? The Bible promises. You do that in faith. If you really believe it in your heart, the seed of Christ will be planted deep in your soul and you'll begin to grow in the godly life that he's laid out for you. And you will know that if you ever died, you have eternal life in heaven with Jesus that confidence changes everything about your life. Would you like to do that? This young man said, yes. I said, repeat after me this prayer and pray it out of your heart uh, as if you're talking to God. So he said, dear Jesus, we prayed the prayer. Forgive me my sins. Cleanse me. Wash me of all the things I've done that's wrong. I believe that you died for me on the cross. I receive your blood into my heart to wash and eradicate my sins. Would you receive me as your son in Jesus' name? Amen. 
We pray and I said, according to the Bible, if you said that in faith, you believe that, you really wanted to talk to God about that, then you're born again. The seed of Christ is in you. You begin to grow. You can get into the Bible. That's his word. It's going to cause you to even grow faster. Get into a local church of people that believe like what you believe. They will help you. They will support you. They will guide you so you do not stumble and you will not fall. Do you mind if I pray with you before you go? I pray with them and then I welcome him. Have him fill out a card, raise cards so we can contact them later. Or we actually are starting to use QR codes and, uh, and then they're off and running and we can follow up. So it's a simple way to preach the gospel. It's a simple way to bring people to Jesus Christ. So we're carriers of his presence. That's great. Carry the presence out there, but do the ask. Ask them, ask them. You know, it's interesting in Ezekiel 47, I didn't get a chance to share any of this on Sunday, but in Ezekiel 47, there's an amazing vision that happens. It's Ezekiel and the river of God, the flow of the water is coming out from underneath the door into the throne room of God. It's a river that's coming out and it's it starts kind of as a, it's inferred to be like a, a, a trickle as if like there's a water leak in the other room and the water, your water heater broke or something and water is running out underneath the door. So it's very, very little, but he has someone down the river because the river flows out way, way far away. And they're measuring, it's getting deeper as it flows out, which is typical of rivers. They usually have a river source and then they become a mighty river miles away, you know. And so they measure it. They find out that he can go in, he's up to his ankles. He goes in, he's up to his knees. He goes in, he's up to his, I forget, his waist. And then he, then he gets so deep that he has to swim in it. This is like the picture, the farther away you get from the throne room of God, this river gets deeper, so much so that it reaches the Dead Sea, which has no life in it. I've been there. I verified that. Has no life in it. When it reaches the Dead Sea, it turns it into life. And fishermen come all around, all up and down the coast, and they're able to fish and get an abounding amount of fish. What is this picture? This picture, I'm telling you, the deepness of God is out there in the world. You are a part of that river. If you go down the very presence of God, you take it out there, it will turn them from being a dead sea into a living sea, and you will be able to harvest fish out of that river because of the flow that comes from the presence of God. So what we do, some people are huddling though around the door, the presence of God, I need God, I need God, 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 I need your help. We all do, I get that, I cry out to God too. But he's called us to go out. He's compelled us to go out into all the world, filled with the Holy Spirit, witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parks. He said, I will come and I will make you fishers of men. Bob Jones, a great prophet of many years ago, told me one day about my church and what it was going to be like and thousands to be ministered to and all this stuff, really fun, crazy stuff, you know. And much of that has already happened and some is yet to come. But he kept saying, you need, to, you need to train the fish cleaners. You need to train the fish cleaners. I'm like, Bob, I, I, I knew what it is. I said, you fish cleaners, you know, the disciples. You need to train the fish cleaners because there's going to be a multitude that are going to come in. So right now at Bethel Cleveland, what we're doing is we're training the fish cleaners. If you're a believer, become a fish cleaner. <laughs> become a carrier of his presence but take it into the deep river, into the deep sea. You say, where's the deep sea? It's at Walmart. It's at the thrift store. It's at the grocery store. 
It's at the college campus, a local college campus that we ministered into two weeks ago. Over 40 students, 42 students, I believe it was, came to know Jesus on that campus. Wow. People say young people aren't interested. That's a lie. They are interested. No one's asking them. Go out and ask them. Tell the gospel of Jesus Christ and ask them, do you want to receive Jesus Christ right now? And they will. And you're going to be turned down. I've, I've really not had that many, actually. I think it's just the grace of God. He may know I'm a coward at heart, so he's given me grace, you know. But, you know, people receive it. People open. But you got to make the ask. We I'm going to pray for boldness. That's how I want to end this today. And some of you, you got these fears or you got weird theologies that say you're not supposed to be doing this. You don't have to worry about it. He told me a couple of weeks ago, I was praying over a person down front, and the Lord said, it's souls to souls, souls, S-O-L-E-S, souls, that the, the, the feet of those who carry good news, the souls of the feet of those who carry good news will preach the gospel. Souls to souls, S-O-U-L-S, your souls going to souls and things happen. To do that, you need boldness. You need the Holy Spirit. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, Right now, just put your hand on the device that you're listening from and receive the Holy Spirit right now. The power of the Holy Spirit. Be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Let His power come upon you. Begin to speak in another language. You're going to feel something kind of bubbling up. Jesus said, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And begin to speak that language that's clarified by Paul as a as a is a language that's directly to God. I don't understand that, but that's what Paul said. You don't speak to yourself because you're speaking something that's unknown and you just start speaking a language. So receive in the name of Jesus right now. Put your hand on the device and then put your hand on your forehead and tell your very spirit, your soul to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Because here's what's happened. When you have the Holy Spirit, in the New Testament, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the initial fruit was boldness. Jesus prophesied all that. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. You shall be witnesses. No ifs, ands, or buts. The power of God will come upon you. You receive power. You will be witnesses. Romans 1 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Boldness is a characteristic of apostolic preaching, of witnessing in the first part of Acts. The Sanhedrin saw Peter and John spoke boldly. The Jerusalem church prayed that God would continue to give them boldness. When they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they did in fact speak with boldness in Acts 4.31. So here's some thoughts. Let's think about the other day. The boldness caused Jesus to call Zacchaeus down from the tree. The boldness caused Jesus to intervene for a woman who was caught in adultery. The boldness caused Jesus to be like a priest in the streets and people ran to him for solutions. That is who we're following. That is the rabbi we are following. Get out there among the people. Go to the deep places like Walmart. Go to the deep places like your neighborhood. Go to the deep places like your Thanksgiving table with your brother-in-law that you're just not sure is going to go to heaven. Get some love for him. Allow the Lord to move your heart and preach the gospel to him. What a great time to receive Jesus. Thanksgiving Day. Mother Teresa, the great Catholic saint of India, used to tell her teams when they went out, let's go out to see Jesus. She's talking about the poor. 
Let's go out to see Jesus. Let me tell you right now, let's go out to see Jesus. Lord, I pray for boldness right now on my audience that's listening right now, whether it's in 2023 or further down into history, into the future. Lord, it could be a year from now, two years from now, whatever they're listening to this right now, but the conviction, the anointing is on it. I pray, Lord, for a boldness to come upon them, a boldness, Lord God, to get them out of their inside, turn them inside out, Lord. Wash them on the inside. Free them up by the power of the Holy Spirit. And may they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and may multitudes come to know Jesus. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord. Amen. Set a goal. Set a goal. Say, look, in 2024, I'm going to win one person to Jesus. Imagine if every Christian did that. One person to Jesus. Millions would come to the Lord every year. But I know what's going to happen. As soon as you win that one person, in fact, do it in January. Win that one person because this is a contagion. When you do it, there's such joy that comes seeing the birthing of children into the kingdom of God. Nothing more exciting in the kingdom of God and being a pastor than watching people coming out of the waters of baptism. Their lives are changed. They're weeping. Their hands are raised. Their life has been changed on a fresh trajectory in God. They're new creations. Lord, I thank you for that. And I, I thank you, Lord, that you're going to move on these people that as they win one soul, they're going to say, I've got to win another one. May they catch this Holy Spirit virus in Jesus' name and may it be deadly. Lord, may it touch them so deep that they die to self, they die to their own fears, they die to their own uh, wrong, false arguments, and they arise and are awakened in Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. Awake, you sleeper. Rise up from the grave. Rise up from the dead. And Christ's light will be on you. We bless that light. May it shine in Jesus' name. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. God bless. See you next time.